Pardon me, sir? I said pull over by the stop sign. Oh, sorry. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. Uh, I can't hear a damn thing. Went to a rock concert last night at the garden. My seats were right up against the speaker. It's a heavy metal group, uh, Metalla something. Ka. Huh? What? Ka. Ah. Uh. My ears are still ringing. Some woman's idea of a joke. No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sound Logic Podcast. And today we are discussing album number 97 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Album list. This is Master of Puppets by Metallica. Uh, this is an album, we'll say it right here at the top, that neither Mike nor I had listened to. And when that happens, we sometimes look around for people who might know more than us. Um, I did a, a Facebook search, and friends are going to start maybe blocking me on social media because they know that I do this. But I guess if you want to be on the Sound Electric Podcast, it's not a bad thing to post about um, your music loves. But anyway, I searched for Master of Puppets, and... Um, was sort of intrigued. Someone I knew liked metal music um, had listed it on a list of albums that he thinks are sort of principal and formative. And he had taught a class on the evolution of heavy metal and said, if I ever teach that again, these are the albums I need to include. And one of those was Master of Puppets. So I thought, oh man, I got to reach out to this guy. Um, and so I'm really excited to be joined by Peter Buck here tonight. Um, Peter. Uh, works at Penn State in the Sustainability Institute, teaches some classes, a fellow cyclist and a lover of music and good food and spirituality and connecting the dots between all the different things that overlap. Um, an all-around really uh, great individual, and I'm happy to have him here. Before we get too far, we should also point out, Peter, that you um, were, at, were accepted as one of the TEDx speakers here at Penn State and did a TED Talk on metal music as a sort of predictor of the future um and yeah it was really really fun aside from some technical difficulties where your guitar didn't work the way you wanted to um <laughs> maybe the low point of your musical career was being on stage and not having to do <laughs> what you wanted but hey all in all it is uh, a absolute pleasure to have you join us um sorry it took us uh 90 something albums to make this happen but uh you know what there hasn't been a whole lot of metal on this list so far um we're happy to have you here with us tonight well it is it's awesome to be here and i am prepared to bring the fire <laughs> I, i'm so glad to hear you say that fire is the is the most used word in metal oh. fire oh. so we got to okay. bring the fire there have been studies the there have been studies <laughs> i got to admit like up front um, so much of metal in my head is based on a stereotype and i should know by now not to do this i we moved to penn state and to the state college community with these stereotypes in our heads that it was like football obsessed in a party town that didn't care about much else and there's this whole other world that opens up to you when you're a resident that, you know, is so much more uh, meaningful than that. And yet, 
with metal, I did the same thing and thought about like stereotypes like, um, you know, even though they're not necessarily specifically a metal band, I think about, uh, you know, that fantastic uh, mockumentary, Spinal Tap, which has come up many times. And I think about metal in that same sort of space of like kind of mindless dudes who are just making music that goes up to 11. You know, how can I make my guitar do really loud things? How can we make the drums sound even bigger and louder? And I think it wasn't until hearing your TED Talk, Peter, that I realized, oh, man, there's so much more going on here with this music than just, you know, music to headbang to. And so I'm really excited to bring the fire here and go a little deeper with uh, a subject that I'm, I'm still fairly new and naive about. And I think this is, uh, from what I've heard, a good album to start that conversation. It is... I think the best metal album of all time. The best. The, yes. Wow. Yes. And, wow. and, 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 That's exciting. And, and I've got, I've, I have uh, more than just the fact that it's probably my favorite album. I probably <laughs> listened to this album more than any other. The, the only other albums that come to mind that might be close would be Iron Maiden Somewhere in Time. Okay. Um, and like Siamese Dream by uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Pumpkins actually. Wow. Yeah, I really, I was like obsessed with that album uh, when I was younger, and who knows how many like depressed, you know, angsty moments I had with it. But <laughs> from from the the first day I got the cassette, bummed it from my friend Megan uh, at the very beginning of tenth grade. That like weird cream ivory like cassette color. If you remember that, put it in yep. my sport, you know, Sony Sport Walkman, got on the school bus. <laughs> the, the yellow and, one? Yeah, the yellow one and got on the school bus <laughs> like, Ugh. and I turned it on and heard battery. And I just thought, this is the most awesome thing I've ever heard. So obviously, it, I think was it's Was it like great. finding a home? Was it like, I'm, I found where I belong? Was it that the sense you got, got or was it like a, a world that you never even considered before? Well, I mean, I, I, I had listened to to some metal before like i knew the the album that comes after this injustice for all and i okay. loved that album um and yeah over my life i would say that those two albums have kind of like they occasionally sort of switch have switched places but as i get old, older and appreciate the both the ingenuity and the absolutely awesome craft on this mm. album and the way it brings um, a whole bunch of cultural forces into the genius of these four guys in their 20s, hmm. just absolutely blistering the audience for a bunch of songs. And then you get Orion, the instrumental song, song on the album. And you're like, what is going on? And then <laughs> you get beaten in the face by Damage Incorporated at the end. I mean, the, everything about this album is incredible. And it is regarded by many as as the greatest like pure metal album of all time. And there's a there's an online platform B and R metal pages, and they did a bracket, a mm. like um, like a March Madness bracket, yeah, yeah, of the greatest metal albums of all time. And the top four were Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast, um, Megadeth's Rust in Peace. Slayer's Rain and Blood, 
and Master of Puppets by Metallica. And it came mm. down to Metallica and Megadeth, who have this like long time war. Maybe we'll talk about like the war um, <laughs> because of Dave Mustaine and all this stuff. But it, 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 Rust in Peace ended up winning. And I think that's junk. But but it came down to those two. And the mm. fact that an, that, a, that a band is huge as Metallica, who some people would say they sold out with the Black Album and all that, continues to be so dominant in metal. Mm. And it's this album, 100% wow. this album. Yeah, I think as, as people who grew up um, born in the 80s, but sort of came of age in the 90s, we know Metallica as like, the black album and the guys who shut down Napster and sort of don't know the, the story before all that too. So um, yeah, I'm excited to dig a little bit more into this tonight to, to sort of have the story set a little straighter or or at least provide some context to what became the, the the figures that we know. (laughs) Well, you you Uh, said a thing about, about the like spinal tap. Yeah. I mean, I've been to a lot of metal shows. And they're not metal shows in 1984, you know, or 83, but I've been to it like Slayer shows and I, you know, I've seen the caricature of the metal fan <laughs> live all around me everywhere. Like just everyone Google Vakken open air festival and like watch videos of like drunk Italian and German, you know, <laughs> dudes who like love black metal and they're like yeah. falling all over each other. And it's, it's cartoonish. Yeah. So you know, it uh, like go listen yeah, to an overkill that's we, album. That's how we get and you'll some like, stereotypes, right? I guess yeah, is that 100%. there's a bit of bit of truth out there. Hundred percent. Mike, do you want to dive into the details before we get too far here? Do you have any yeah, questions we, to pepper Peter with oh, here before we we dive I mean, I, in? I, I will, but <laughs> I'll save some of them for now. I have a bunch. All right, but let's. Uh, I like setting a little context here about the album when it came out and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. Peter, if you want to jump in here on anything, any details, any, any stories about the making of the album that you have in your back pocket, you just jump right in. You're Great. more than welcome to. Um, so master of puppets released March 3rd, 1986. This is their third studio album uh, by Metallica uh, songs written by Metallica, all lyrics by James Hetfield. And this charted uh, number 29 on the Billboard charts in the U.S., uh, number 28 in Canada, and number 41 in the U.K. And it charted, also important to note, in 22 different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not a, a metal historian, but in 1986, that seems pretty good uh, for a genre that wasn't really mainstream, really isn't still really isn't mainstream in terms of <laughs> you know your hits radio station that's pretty awesome um those numbers are pretty cool that they made quite an impact in sales and in in uh, on the mainstream charts to date uh more than eight million copies sold six times platinum in the u.s so that's six million in the u.s alone uh and in canada um so when they're making this album they decided instead of releasing a single or a music video before the album's release, they toured uh, for five months on an American tour uh, supporting Ozzy Osbourne. And that was their promotion of the album. Uh, once they released the album, the title track was the only single uh, to, to promote the album once it was released. Uh, this is also kind of a big deal here. This is the, ba- the last album 
the band featured bassist Cliff Burton. Mm-hmm. Um, he passed away in a bus accident in Sweden during the album's promotional tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who replaced him, Peter, after that? Jason Newstead. From, Jason Newstead, right? Band, yeah. Flotsam and Jetsam. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that was prob- that was a pretty big deal for the band, and we could, could maybe talk about that a little later, mm-hmm. about how that... Mm-hmm. I guess that shapes... That probably shapes the band as they move past this album, right? Because he had... Uh, he had already recorded the album with the band, I assume. Oh yeah, and they yeah. had been on tour. Yeah, um, it was. I would say in the in in the kind of metal pantheon, um, Cliff Burton is held up as one of the best, you know, really defining bass players because he, on the one hand, his technical facility is really incredible. But he also had a sense of, and and we'll talk about this when we get yeah. into some of these songs. He had a sense of tonality, theory, structure, and and really kind of atmosphere, um, and ha- and brought a composer's sensibility in terms of the full sound of mm-hmm. a band better than anybody else in the band did and so that he taught the other members of the band an awful lot and you can watch interviews of them that were done in the last few years and they miss him horribly Mm. and they're still friends with his dad i mean he was this it's it they were best friends you know and and his musical he was a genius he really was and just some guy playing a rickenbacker you know (laughs) <laughs> amazing yeah um yeah and yeah obviously a, a huge making a huge impact on on the band there um but after the recording mm-hmm. of course so we yep. don't hear that incident reflected in in the in this album of course but it, it impacted them after um as you've said and already peter <laughs> but this is hands down widely considered to be one of the greatest and most influential metal albums of all time. Um, and his credit, here's a, here's a note. I don't know if you agree with this or not is credited with consolidating the American thrash metal scene. Metallica inherits, you know, the everything that is in metal in by the early eighties. Right. And so this comes from really, like go put on Black Sabbath's Black Sabbath, you know, with that tolling bell and down, 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 you know, and yeah. and then the the middle riff and that song. So there are these two things that happen in that this like slow, dark, evil beginning, and then this pursuit theme, right? And yep. it is, and so it's suffused. It's basically super dark rock and roll that merges in some of the lead playing the blues just sped up and made a little sludgier and uglier. Yeah. And then, um, uh, some like sort of classical traditions. Yes. And they're just getting louder and faster. And over the Mm. seventies, you get bands like motorhead, Judas priest, diamond head, the tigers of Pantang, iron maiden, that's the new wave of British heavy metal. And they sort of 
get pushed by punk some too. So like sure. you get this yeah. like get away from me like violent attitude, but it's not necessarily yeah. very socially aware. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, new wave of British heavy metal. Go listen to a song. Am I evil? By um, Diamond Head. Uh, Metallica covered it. That's a good representation. And you'll hear some of these elements of like classical music, like Mars: The Bringer of War by Holst, and just like accelerated, yeah, um, blues. Those okay. come in. So when you, by the time that you get to Kill 'Em All, Metallica's first album. All they do is they don't just turn it up to 11. They also make it go 220 beats a minute. They're like, you know what? You think Motorhead's fast. Nah. So they write like Motor Breath <laughs> and Whiplash. And it's just like so fast. And people would say, I've never seen or heard music this fast before. Yeah. Right. So the, it's just speed. But it's basically like blues rock and roll like on chainsaw speed. <laughs> then they get to ride the lightning and they start, it's like sort of proto thrash. So it starts becoming more socially aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A little bit. Um, uh, uh, they like, they have a song for whom the bell tolls. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a reference to literature. Like there's literature here. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the song creeping death, which is track seven, great track is about the coming of the angel of death in the book of Exodus. Um, and um, Kirk Hemet, the guitar, the lead guitar player, has been taking guitar lessons at that point with Joe Satriani, who Oof. is a guitar virtuoso who lives in the Bay Area, who also taught Steve Vai. So if you know who Steve Vai is, like mm -hmm. crazy guitar player. And Alex Skolnick, who's the lead player in Testament, also a virtuoso. So Hammett is also becoming super, super wildly good. That left hand starts doing lots of really acrobatic stuff. And then so that what they're doing is bringing all of this kind of old aesthetic. They're paying attention to social issues some. So you hear that on Sanitarium and Master of Puppets. Drug, uh, so me medical ethics and like gone wrong. And um, songs about war and songs about drug addiction that aren't like glorifying. It's not like rat or wasp. It's like these things are bad. Yeah. And so thrash is aware. It's super fast and it sounds like abuse. <laughs> okay. So thrash metal is metal is me is music of, that's about power and it's powerful music. And thrash just is like abuse. I'm going to abuse the audience and they're going to like it. And we're going to write about abuse, being abused, abusing people, things getting huh. abused in the environment, like abuse is everywhere. So that's kind of like the thrash sensibility is dystopian. Everyone's bad, but we sort of love it because we're going to revel in it together. Wow. So we're wow. going to do that together. <laughs> and so when you listen to this album and you're like, is this album about abuse? Every single track except Orion, it's about abuse. Hmm. And that's, that's such a helpful context. Thrash. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just really quickly, just think about what was going on in the United States around this time. Okay. The PMRC is going nuts 
being like, there are bad kids in the world and they're listening to this rock and roll and sex is bad and drugs. And, and Metallica's like, you know what? Drugs mess you up. Guess what? Listen to this song. You know, grab you and like punch you in the face with it. And they're like, yeah, drugs are bad. Bam, 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 bam. You know, and, and, and it's like anti-Reagan, but it's not like punk where it's commentary. It's just pure rejection. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And yeah. we can play our instruments way better than you. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> I'm adjusting all of that, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. That I, it was, I mean, I know we're not quite there yet, but it was far more intuitive than I expected. Mm. Um, I didn't expect it to be dumb. I didn't expect it to be stupid. Um, but it was way more intuitive than I expected, both musically and lyrically, um, mm. and socially. I was I was very surprised by that. Okay, wow. Oh, wow. There's a lot more going on here than than I realized. You know, and, and my, <laughs> all all my ignorance. You know, like yeah. just not knowing, just not knowing. Having a cup. Yeah, some of those stereotypes you talked about, Ben. Just this is just going to be loud. It's going to be in your face. The guitars will be awesome. The drums will be awesome. Um, my ears will bleed, and I'll love it. And yes. um, uh, <laughs> and and that and that's and that's what it is, and that's fine. And there was like mm. a lot more than that, which was really cool. Yeah, mm. uh, and that's really helpful. Um, I've watched uh, just a very quick aside, but um, I watched a punk documentary a while ago called "The Other F Word." Uh, the other F word is fatherhood, and it's all about these punk guys from the 80s it's an older documentary maybe 15 20 years ago all these punk guys from the 80s and 90s who now have kids and talking about how being a parent has changed them but they talk about the context of coming out of the 70s into the 80s of america and all this disillusionment all this anger all these social issues that you know the the kids who grew up in the perfect nuclear 50s and 60s are now adults and parents and can't get jobs and uh, everything's going to crap. And now they're having kids and the kids are growing <laughs> up with depressed parents and the kids are turning to punk rock and other things to try and express what's happening, try and express what's happening politically, what's happening at their homes. They're in broken homes. Um, and I, I'm dumbing it down a bit, but that's the general sense. And it really opened my eyes to kind of the, the darker side of, of what was happening in music and all these, um, quote, you know, underground genres, subgenres mm -hmm. of music that are really speaking the truth about what's happening in the world, especially in America, right? Or um, at least providing know, a space for the angst to be let go. Well, of. yeah, for sure. But, but I mean, it, I think I still will stand by that it's truth because, you know, you've got the pop, you've got the, you've got the new wave, you've got this other stuff that's happening that's, as it always is, is sugarcoating some of the real yeah. issues. And you have these mm -hmm. other genres that are really speaking truth. And some of it's harder to listen to. And some of it are guys that can't play their instruments. <laughs> um, and some of it, which is great. And some of it is, is also this stuff, which is like not that at all. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll come, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'll come back to some, some of that stuff. But, but I really appreciate that Peter, that kind of context mm -hmm. as to how do we get here mm -hmm. to this album and why is that important? That's cool. And that, that actually really helps me as I, as I digest all this music. You know, you just talked about fatherhood 
and I think all three of us are fathers, right? You know, fatherhood will certainly change you. None of the three of us, I've noticed, sitting here looking at us, are 19 or 17 or, you know, 16 (laughs) years old. um, And we all live in, looks like, pretty intact houses. You know, James Hetfield, the, the singer and rhythm guitar player and one of the main songwriters in this band, grew up in a very strict Christian house. And it drove him crazy. The last song on Injustice for All is kind of inspired by that childhood. It's called Dyer's Eve. We're not talking about that. But that kind of like anger, that like seething, pushing against restriction. Mm. Right? And what can be more transgressive than owning that, that anger and that kind of that resentment? And and he's also very depressed. He's a, he's like clinically depressed, and channeling that right into making the most badass music that had ever been written with mm-hmm. three other people. And collectively, you are a super genius, you know. And you make this thing, and people are like, "Well, where did that come from?" Right? <laughs> and it you yeah, know it's the only real metal album in the top one hundred. On yeah. Rolling Stone. Yep. You know, oh, it yeah. is unequivocal yeah. metal. They're these like yeah. sort of proto metal albums. And then you get like super heavy rock, Appetite for Destruction, right? But this yeah. is yeah. this is it. Ace uh, Back in Black, you know, is, is heavier rock, but it's yeah. not hard certainly rock. not yeah. hard rock. It's not metal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, the last couple notes here. Um, uh, in 2015, Master mm-hmm. of Puppets became the first metal recording to be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry. So another, I mean, obviously very appropriate, <laughs> and another <laughs> milestone for this band and this genre. Uh, in you know, with even even to this date, but at, even in 2015, I'm sure if we looked up all the albums, they're in there with the great blues albums, rock albums, mm-hmm. um, R&B albums of the time and now. Uh, Metallica. So very, very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I have really been looking forward to discussing this uh, album cover. We always <laughs> talk about the album cover and I had never, I, I was familiar with this one, but never really looked at it um, closely. Um, let me just describe it for you. If, if you're listening, please, you know, pause and, and just look it up because, you know, you should be looking at it Um it's a painting. Okay. I'll explain who did it uh, after, but um, Metallica in their classic stylized lettering in the top in that 3d lettering in white silver kind of thing below is a, is a field of crosses of graves, white crosses with grass growing up and uh, right at the bottom in block capital master of puppets coming down Above Metallica are two ghostly red shadowy hands and coming down (laughs) are strings connecting to all the crosses. And on the far left on one of the crosses is hanging a helmet. Looks like a World World War II style helmet. Um, And uh, the, the, again, the, the colors, you know, you've got white, the background is red and orange glow. 
again the fire <laughs> the, the, you, you know you get that sense kind of a hellish color uh, and the grass growing long uh, on on these graves so there's there's it it evokes so many images um, when I look at it and I I was as I looked at it and and I'll give you guys certainly a, a few moments to comment on this as well I had never realized wow what a political uh, piece of artwork like on the co- I, I had never looked at it closely the, the strings and the helmet and the and the color I was like holy smokes you know like here I am just dismissing you know you see you see the you see the skulls and the and the skeletons and all this on all these stuff and sometimes it's you know it's fun and it's comical yeah like and iron maiden with the trooper right and mm-hmm. and all this stuff you know and and but a lot of those when you look at them are also very poignant and very political so that struck me um right away as i looked at it um and there's, there's a few more notes here but um i, I want to hear your comments on this guys and and peter if you have stuff to add you know go ahead ben jump in yeah i think i too dismissed it as uh oh they're using crosses to sort of give a middle finger to organized religion and didn't notice the strings didn't notice the hands um and yeah didn't didn't think much of it uh I don't know what that font is, but with the sort of like pointy fish hook ends on the end there, it's just like, um, I, I read a review, uh, some point this week that said there, there are a couple different kinds of Metallica fans. There are ones that know them for the good old stuff like this album. There are ones that know them for their sort of mid nineties rise and, and, uh, advocacy kind of work. And there are the ones that are too young to know that Metallica is a band and just think it's a cool font on a t-shirt from Target. <laughs> and I'm like, I think it is easy to look at this and be like, oh, well, yeah, that's just a heavy metal band and not really dig any deeper than that because uh, it looks tough. And mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's it was fascinating this week, like you said, Mike, to go a little bit deeper into, oh, man, there's like strings there. Oh, there's hands up there. I didn't notice. Those aren't just yeah, clouds. Yeah. 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 yeah really cool. So the there's a dog tag hanging the on hanging on one of the crosses. So I have the tab book here and you can see there's a dog tag. Oh right yeah. There. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, okay. Right? So the song track 5 is Disposable Heroes. Yes. Right? And so there's a there's a I think there's a kind of interesting Thing here so um if you go to arlington national cemetery you would see things that are kind of like this right yeah right and rows from every direction you look rows every direction you look and then if you think about disposable heroes as in a lineage of songs that while not anti-war are presenting a critical view of war, who is responsible for war? Then yeah. we can go back once again to Black Sabbath, war pigs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses, evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerers of death's construction. So the sorcerers of death's construction have their hands, right? And they have the strings on all these men. 
And where have they put them? In the ground, right? And then in the background, that like sort of hellish background, that's not, uh, is that heaven? Are they going to heaven? What's, <laughs> what's going on back there? I mean, you know, like it's a little ambiguous, but so this is another sort of metal trope. So the, the cross is a metal trope and it is offense to organized religion because they are offended by it. Right. Mm. It violates my autonomy. That religion is bad because it violates my autonomy. That's what this sort of ethic, the, the ethics is here. I'm an individual. You can't control me. But look, you're getting controlled. And then, right. yeah. Um, yeah. And then huh. the title track, Master of Puppets, isn't about war. It's about addiction. So there's yeah. like a kind of like the song and the album cover are different but you can what's cool is the interaction yes. between the tracks and once again it's about manipulation and abuse mm -hmm. right yep. that's what's going on on the cover it's it's in my view a, a reflection of manipulation and abuse that's real hmm. yeah and um I well, a, a couple things. So uh, the I want to I want to note the artist Don. Well, I'm going to mess up this last name. Don uh, Brautiga. Um, he painted it, uh, and uh, Lars Ulrich explained the artwork, summarized the lyrical content of the album, which which you've touched on already, Peter. People being subconsciously manipulated, um, and and that was the concept there. I. <laughs> This has got to be an album cover that represents the the album, the music, and a couple of songs in particular mm -hmm. so perfectly. We've Ben and I have talked about you know almost a hundred albums, but even more than that. And there are so many where we go, "What were they thinking?" Like look at the <laughs> album cover and go, "This has nothing." Like who designed this? Like especially right. some of the ones in the '90s are just weird you know and some of the design elements just make no sense this one is so crystal clear like it's just perfectly you know whether they told the artist hey do this was this based on a on a james hetfield doodle or something i thought i read an article that he was oh hmm. interesting he I don't you know he that. he did um like was scribbling and then uh yeah, he copied it it was that uh Browdingham copied Hetfield's uh, a sketch that he did. Uh taking like his outline and then and then so like he kind of took an idea from Hetfield and then made it, you know, his artwork for this. So it's like uh often you, you so there's a lot of times where the art the the musicians aren't involved in the album cover at all. You know, it's the it's someone who's doing the design or, or someone at the label who decides, yeah, we got someone who's going to whip something up here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so this is like some direct influence into what they, the band wanted there, which is really, really cool, but it just represents it so well. well so much the, imagery. Yeah. One of the, one of the things about metal is that uncut, well, like, like, like punk, certainly, yeah, well, punk, country hip-hop i mean like there are these whole sort of aesthetics that are wrapped around the music you know there's a fashion sense 
right? Mm-hmm. And there's an aesthetic, there's a visual aesthetic in, you know, that comes up in album covers. And if we were to go into death metal, like these absolutely opaque, impossible to read fonts of like what these bands even are, you know? So like the, <laughs> the, the and, but, you know, bands like Metallica that really have all this vision, it's going to, this is what they're going to do, you know? I, again, I'm not, I'm not overly familiar with, um, with metal in general. However, the, the thing that I, the little I've heard instantly was coming back to me as I push play, because some of the things you've already talked about, some of the different tropes, some of the different musical themes, Mm -hmm. the relationship between metal and classical and classical guitar. So that's what we get in battery. We get this classical guitar. And I guess there's sometimes maybe a bit of a, depending on the way you play and the instrument you use, you know, a bit of a line between classical guitar and, and even towards a flamenco. I hope I'm not, Okay, yeah. good. You're nodding, which is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, no, that, that, but I'm hearing these things and going, yeah, you know what? I've I've heard this in metal before. That okay, this is all very familiar now. Um, I feel like I can, I can find a place here, a grounding in, in this, and and then you, of course, you get into like this, like right away, you know, just yeah. the you know the distortion comes in is like whoa, but like such a cool dichotomy. Uh, to have this soft, gentle, and still dark, but soft and gentle kind mm-hmm. of intro, and then get into just like the just you know, I, almost a gut punch as as we start into it. So that was kind of my first kind of just open my eyes, like okay, yeah, there's so many different elements to this, and I mm-hmm. love an introduction on an album that gives you a taste in the first thirty seconds of all the things you're going to hear or sorry, not all the things, a lot of the things you're going to hear on the album. Mm-hmm. Here are some of the, all the different elements. I think I, Ben, I, you're going to roll your eyes and talk about this. If you can do an intro, snare like drum. the door, no, not snare, <laughs> like the, like the doors did on their first album. Oh, do, 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 do. Everybody comes in. It's like, here are all the players. Here are all the mm-hmm. sounds in the first, you know, 20 seconds. Here's everything you need to know about the band and the album strap in you know like yeah, and yeah. i thought that that's that's a really cool way to introduce yourself as a band and as an album and i thought they did a very similar thing in kind of introducing some of the things in the first track mm-hmm. so i don't really want to say anything else about this <laughs> album i want i want to hear from of course from you ben but i i talk to you all the time i want to hear from peter um <laughs> yeah especially because i think at first glance you can you can hear this superficially because it is loud. It is fast paced. And if you're people like Mike and I, who don't catch lyrics the first time around, mm-hmm. you can dismiss it pretty fast as just, you know, the tropes that we've mentioned. Right. Yeah. So I, I think for me, Peter, what I'd love to hear from you is like, Hey, what makes this exceptional? And, and what is it that's deeper here? Um, okay. Sure. Than other, than others, you know, stuff that's similar yeah this is the how much time do you have because <laughs> i can talk about each of these songs for a really long time but i won't what what i think I, I, we can do is sort of take some some like bits from each of yeah. the songs and, and knowing that there's more that we could talk about right so so battery is really really remarkable 
there are sort of two reasons. First is that it is the is it is a pillar on the album that um, is met on track eight by Damage Incorporated. So these are songs that begin very atmospherically, and then they kind of rev up, and then they just pound the hell out of you for five minutes, right? <laughs> okay, and they have these really cool bridges. They're very dynamic at the beginning, but they also have these breaks in the middle that are really super distinct. And so there's, mm. there are elements of timbre and texture that people don't associate necessarily with metal and thrash metal, which they just think is like chainsaws. So when Mike said there's like a flamenco kind of thing going on, totally. So the opening chord is an E nine chord with a, with a flat nine on it. And it, so it's an E B and an high F and that F is if it were an octave lower, it would be a half step away from that E. It would be like jamming right on it. You'd be like, <laughs> make that stuff. Yeah. So it's an octave away. And what they do is they go, da da bum. And when they do that, that's a psi figure. And in classical, in sort of theory, that's called an appoggiatura. It is the resolution of a very tense note and it slides mm-hmm. off. And it's done on an accented beat. So it has this melancholy flavor to Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. but the chords that go under that little side figure are this this, um, E um, ninth chord, and it's a flat nine, and then it inverts that almost to to be an F major seven which is another unstable chord to an f sharp seven so we're moving by half step in the bass up to just a g5 Hmm. right and so that would be a resolution but it's not you hear that (laughs) it's like oh that's the most stable chord but it's not the root chord which was an e Uh, we're away from the e and all we've done is in the bass we've proceeded up by half step and up and it's a minor third and in the top voice we've gone down a minor third and they've met at this fifth and it's very stable but it's not so already <laughs> things are broken <laughs> and then what follows that is you get this right that kind of that's where the flamenco starts coming in yeah and then they're like oh we need to turn on the brutality button and they, they hit the distortion, and it's like, right? And it's just punching rhythm. Yeah. You're like, oh, something's going to happen. And so what it does is <laughs> it's electrifying, right? Yeah. It's a yeah. really intense experience. And then it goes, right? And you get this gallop. And that is, so that's a tritone. So it goes from E to B flat. And that's the devil's tone, right? And that is old. So if we go listen to Mars to Bring a So it's that tone 
it's just like we're putting it on a motorcycle and making it go 190 whatever beats a minute so it's just super fast right Mm -hmm. and so there are these harmonic relationships that are really tense and they're happening at different speeds and at different timbres. And then when James Hetfield comes in, he says, lashing out the action, returning the reaction, weak are ripped and torn away. Hypnotizing power, crushing all the cower. Battery is here to stay. It's a song that is about being violence. Mm. Yeah. But it started with this tense flamenco that's like, where are we going? <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah. And then yeah. you are just hurled yeah right the and, lure, and, lure, luring lured in exactly you're lured in and then it's just like well i guess we're going somewhere and it's and it's <laughs> just you like brutalized so you get brutalized for several minutes by the song it's got this great bridge um and 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 is abuse as the abuser yeah. like you get right. to be the abuser in the song you're like oh and so if you're a kid if you're a 15-year-old kid from, you know, Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York or Altoona or, you know, Youngstown, Ohio, right? And, like, you live in the 80s and your dad beats you up, this music is awesome. Yeah. Because you're like, yeah, I'm not going to take that. All of a sudden, yeah. you're powerful. Take some power back, yeah. Yeah, I'm taking I it back. I that. Yeah. Yep. And then when you go to a show, you do it together, right? Yeah. So, so can you see pit. how how powerful and motivating this can be for like a certain really? kind of kid? And, wow, yeah, and I can also are. see I can see how dangerous uh, authority figures would would feel it too, right? Or you know the concerned oh. moms that you mentioned too. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I they come to my school board right? meetings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I read one review you were talking about. Before you know it, you feel like your heart is beating at the same pace of the album, and mm-hmm. and it changes in t- in time with the album, yeah. and and that's uh, that's fu- it's like riding ocean waves. Like you you are a part of a bigger a bigger movement when you feel that sweeping of the of the music sort of wrap you up. And mm-hmm. um, if that's your kid that uh, you want to shelter from the world. <laughs> It's. It, I can imagine it would be <laughs> yeah. a, a bit threatening. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So, Peter, we we went through something really quick, and I think Ben and I were both unfamiliar with it. We talked about the devil's tone. That's mm. a that's a real thing. That's oh, a thing. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Classical so, music. It's not just in classical music. So, um, uh, it is the the relationship. It is called the augmented fourth or the diminished fifth. Okay. That one. So, um, if you, I mean, I want to get my guitar now so that I can do it. The <laughs> the um, the opening of Black Sabbath's Black Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's a G to a higher G to a C sharp, and okay. that relationship between G and C sharp or E and B flat. It's six half steps or three whole steps apart it is 
the in classical music the most unstable tone that there is. Right. It wants to resolve, and you know what metal does? It's like no, we're just gonna hang out there a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. we're just gonna do that, right? So in medieval music, you like you weren't supposed to use it, and it shows up if you know the major or the the um uh, the dominant seventh chord. Okay. That, yep. Right. So the dominant seventh chord, if it's a G dominant seventh chord, G, B, D, um, F, the yeah. relationship between that B and that F, that B wants to slide up to a C and that F wants to slide down to an E or an E flat, depending on whether you're in, you know, if you're going to C major or C minor. Right. But it, that's how it wants to resolve. Okay. And what, what, musicians start doing Wagner does it a lot um, the, there's this thing the Tristan chord people can go listen to the opening of Tristan und Isolde okay and you'll hear this tritone in there and it kind of has to work itself out and Wagner does it in this really kind of interesting way then musicians after him who get really into atonality okay yeah they start playing around with this thing they're like yeah we're not going to resolve it ever at all in fact <laughs> it's going to be everywhere and we don't care about harmony and i don't need to get too much into serial music or whatever but but what what metal does is it it takes that that sort of the the association that is dark and evil right of yes. the tritone and plays with it in the blues it shows up as the blue note so if you're okay. playing a blues, like a pentatonic scale, if yes. you know how to play a pentatonic scale. So let's say that we're playing like an E pentaton, E minor pentatonic scale. So you're going to play like E, G, A, B, D, E, right? right. And you're just going to yep. do that. Well, what you can do is on the, on the descent, say, you might start throwing in blue notes and go like, E, D, B, B flat, A. You get that little chromatic. Yes, yes. You get that, and then the, you know, like, you're going to get these little descending motifs, and the relationship between that B flat and that E, it, like, lingers in there, and you're like, oh, that's the, like, the sexy note. That's the, like, (laughs) we're doing something a little wrong. Yeah. And... What they've done in battery, the main riff, um, that first relationship, that's a E to a B flat to an A. And so it's a tritone, right? right? And then, and that's going to show up in Master of Puppets. It's going to show up in the thing that should not be. Uh, It's not an E, but uh, it shows up in Leopard Messiah. It shows up in Damage Incorporated all over the South. Okay. And that is inherited from a whole musical grammar that's been in existence for a long time. It's just, this is a, they find all these novel ways to use it in riffs. Wow. That's really cool. Thank you. And it's harmonic (laughs) instability. That's what it is. It's harmonic instability. Yeah. Yeah. That, that hanging, that hanging on, not, not resolving to where even even our brain like we like patterns we like things to be complete typically so we're we're expecting and i know that i I played a lot of music in in church over the years and and there was songs that end you know 
on a minor quarter and partway through the progression and it drove me nuts and i changed the i'd change the music and i'd go like people like what are you doing it's like i i can't stand like we have to play one more chord they're like well it doesn't end on that chord and like, no but i have to <laughs> you know i have to do that and and i think um it takes a lot of patience it takes a lot of control to be able to allow that to to be okay for you there's tension there and you can use it as a very powerful tool and, as and i hear metallica using it here as a very it, powerful tool that's right and so there's never a happy ending right and and, and, and that's yeah, what and, people don't like people are like where's the happy ending and you're like it's master of puppets there's no happy ending you know well, i mean and, that's the that's the that's the narrative. That's what mm -hmm. that's what's being told here, right? Um, I, I really like that you mentioned uh, um, Mars Spring of War by Holst, and mm -hmm. and as you were talking about, I was hearing those kind of those notes in my head. Um, you know, yeah, it's all and that's that. actually those are stacked tritones. So that's like yes. if we were to do it like E F. A sharp or B flat, B, and they just stacks up, and that's that's one portion of what's called an octatonic scale. Right, right. It's super cool. I think this is the part of the podcast where we sometimes apologize to those who aren't into music theory. <laughs> 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 We're going, ah, what's happening? They're going to be like, oh, this guy. I mean, but at the end of the day, what it what it is is it's just the harm. It's the harmony doing the work of chaos and darkness yeah and, and i think it you know i think it's fun to, i've talked to people who aren't into music who have said to me though there's something really cool happening on this song and 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 i and i love it i don't i can't put my finger on it. i don't know what it is mm -hmm. and then to have someone go well would you like me to explain it to you i i think i have an idea of what it is and so mm -hmm. you can walk through kind of okay there is something happening and technically and it's intentional yeah here's how they did it you know yeah. um i had someone say that to me like oh you know it was like a harmony or something how did they do that i said well you know here's here is how they did that That's so right. it's i like i like that stuff that's cool. kind of cool should we talk about the the title track well yeah we've got to talk about got to talk about it. i mean my my kids because of stranger things my kids are into this now too yeah <laughs> um which is like <laughs> call it what you will but it's really cool i've heard you know my daughter is is a is a growing musician i've heard this riff on piano guitar ukulele um i think just about every instrument that we own this uh, the riff has been played on <laughs> in in our house so it's it's pretty cool yeah um, but yeah master puppets and um is it the like the longest the title tracks the longest track on the album too like it's that's not right short. yeah it's so like about eight and a half minutes yeah yeah um, it, it's it's quite a piece it's very epic um so one of the things to note uh, about it so lyrically this this song is about it's about addiction right right and james hetfield had seen people you know just strung out and you know when you go through you know anyone who's had a family member or had a friend who is a victim of addiction they can start ceasing they can totally cease to be the person who you think that they are right because they are a slave to this um, this thing. I, I myself am a recovering alcoholic, 
Okay. And, you know, I have to say, in preparing for this podcast, I listened to this song in a way that even though I've been sober for almost two years, I was like, huh, this, it really took on a, a different meaning okay. because I remember the last few months of, of my alcoholism being like, just thinking like, I don't know how, I mean, my life was, was pretty bad. So, um, yeah. I don't need to go into all of that, but, but the lyrics, it, you know, are so, I mean, they're lurid in a way and, um, uh, the, the, I think it's the, the last verse, you know, hell is worth all that, a natural habitat, just a rhyme without a reason, a never ending maze, drift on numbered days, now your life is out of season. Yeah, the rhyming is maybe a little bit hokey and whatnot, but that <laughs> being absolutely trapped, that sense of being trapped in something and that it is, you know, the master of puppets is pulling your strings, pushing your mind and smashing your dreams is that it's doing things to you. And Hetfield, you know, so they write the, these lyrics and this incredibly elaborate song that opens with the dun, 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 That's just a chromatic scale. Yep. And you can like draw a line to Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin. Okay. You know, you just do that and you're like, oh, it's that on turbo. Yeah. So yeah. it's got this like, but that was just like swanky. Oh, I'm like, so gone, man. Yeah. And that it also has, so we can super geek out. If you listen to When I'm Laid in Earth, the final aria from Henry Purcell's Dido and Aeneas, it's an opera from like hundreds of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 um, the descending baseline is almost the same. Oh, and wow. It is, okay. And so it is associated with this endless sigh, right? Master of Puppets just makes it fast and violent. Okay. Right? And so I think that's, even though it's like brutally simple, it's just like a descending, dun, 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 you know, and yeah. then you're like, yeah. okay, yeah, we're just going to descend. The rest of the song continues like to evolve and it has this really beautiful bridge. That yeah. acoustic section yeah. in the middle, this really beautiful, elaborate gorgeous. E minor, gorgeous section with layered lead. James yep. Hetfield's lead in that section. You can hear this almost um there's a slight like Baroque sensibility. Yes, absolutely. To it really delicate artful beautifully phrased and then you get that section says master master where's the dreams that i've been after right and then the song explodes with this blistering fast lead and you're like well wow and that's like <laughs> and then it comes back hell is worth all that natural right it, you get the return but that bridge was a huge piece of like rock architecture you're like, well, where'd that come from? Yeah, yeah. And that's oh. the ge- That's where you really get into the genius of the band. Yes. Um, it, it's it's truly, you know, it, it's not a song. It's a composition. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 very well put together. 
Um, sometimes songs can just be long and have multiple parts just for the sake of, of being mm -hmm. that. And, mm -hmm. and this is not that this is, I wouldn't say this is that case. Um, yeah. it's, it's well done. Um, I, I don't know. The one thing I, I, I was challenged with a little bit and maybe we could speak to it now. Um, hmm. I was challenged sometimes with the with the melody in the vocals, and I thought that there was a there was a sometimes a lack of of um, of movement and diversity in in the melody, mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't sure if it was just my ignorance in the music, or or if it was just are we not. Is our attention supposed to be more on on the other instruments and on the other parts of the songs and not necessarily on the melody of of the of the lyric, or is it just or is he limited in? I mean, he's not limited in his vocal capacity. I mean, Hetfield's an incredible vocalist. I see videos of him now and think, how on earth can you even talk after <laughs> you know after oh, forty yeah. years of that? I don't even. I don't know how. True. I don't know how he's done it. I mean, unless his, uh, I, I, I don't get it, but um, I, I wouldn't say anything negative about Hetfield's vocal ability. And I would say mm -hmm. as we get into the nineties, which is the Metallica that I was introduced to, mm -hmm. you hear a much more melodic, uh, I'll say maybe a little more, you know, radio friendly mm -hmm. version, if, if I may, um, mm -hmm. uh, a little sure. bit more of a, of a moving, pleasing melody. I, I get, very just back and forth between a couple notes on these and that challenged me a bit i i don't want to say i didn't like it but i found it challenging that sometimes i go okay i've been listening to the guitars i've been listening to drums okay i'm just going to switch my focus and listen to the vocal i'm going eh, i don't know if i want to do that <laughs> i don't know if that's my favorite so yeah. so did you have are you challenged by that or what's your take on that peter how do you does that like oh no i love it or it's not a problem or, or what do you think about it the lyric, the vocals are often in in thrash. They're almost like a pitched percussion instrument. Okay. Yes. Right? Very and rhythmic. Yeah. Yeah. Very rhythmic, and yeah. it's about the tone of the voice and mm -hmm. not the notes and the. It's not about the okay. pitches, right? Yep. And and so that's an aesthetic choice. So if you listen okay. to you know, James Hetfield, Chuck, um, Chuck Billy from Testament is a noted Barker also, but you also like in other thrash bands with Joey Belladonna from Anthrax, he can sing. Yeah. You know, he can, and he can like, he could really sing John Bush from Armored Saint, who also was in Anthrax really can sing. Hetfield, they just avoided it until they got to Metallica, Metallica, until the Black Album, when, yeah. you know, you can put on that record and you think, huh, The Unforgiven, like, he's singing. It's, yeah, and it's, oh, yeah. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But the aesthetic in Thrash and this kind of defiance of convention is part of that. So there's a resistance okay. to it that... Would these songs, these songs wouldn't, if, if he was like, hell is worth all that natural habitat, you know, like what, what is going <laughs> yeah. on? Yeah. Like, yeah. Forget yeah. It, dude. like yeah. so it's this, yeah. it, it's, it's a, it's a bark. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And yeah, no, and I, I totally, I, I think I was, I was, 
looking for that kind of explanation. Like I, th I this is a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, uh, it's not, it's not a lack of ability. Um, you know, it's a set of choice. And, and like I said, I found it, I, I didn't hate it. I just found it challenging and different, like, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, you know, I'm, I'm into vocals. I'm, I like to sing. Uh, and, and it wasn't like the typical, just, you know, it wasn't, oh, no, it's no. not just that, you know, there are bands that do just that and that's, that's their thing, but no, this is not that at all. So nope. yeah. No, it's yeah. Good. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's totally, that's totally it. And, and we do know not just the Unforgiven, but you know, I think that their cover of Turn the Page. No. Oh, I mean, you what? can you can hear. I mean, James Hetfield is a becomes a really accomplished vocalist, and when I listen to him perform Turn the Page, I'm like, I, I mean, I could never do that. This is a guy who is barking his face off, yeah. you know, and then he can. He uh, his ability to use his mouth and his tongue, you yeah. know, is like yeah. you're like, huh? You're you are wildly talented. Oh, right? you, you see videos of him now. You know, he's not a young man, no. and he's out there, like they're touring now, right? Like right now. Yeah, he's like sixty, right? And um, you know, he's going to get on stage, screaming his face off as he has for for four decades smoking cigars <laughs> it's like yep. I, it defies science <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know like, yeah. but, <laughs> but he's doing yeah. it he has a gift yeah. he um, does. well the, uh, uh, the next song actually the thing that should not be has a little bit of a there there is a little bit more kind of singing in it he doesn't move around a lot but there's a little bit more singing than there is compared to the barking on the first two yeah. tracks. Yeah. And this is the slow grinder song. It's inspired by the writing of H.P. Lovecraft, the thing that should not be. It directly quotes the call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and Lovecraft, you know, it's chaos and horror and outer beings. And, you know, it's just a, it's a monster song and it's cool. <laughs> Um, has an atmospheric opening. I think this is one of the uh, less impressive songs on right. the album. Cool. Um, but it's not as groundbreaking as I think the others. And if there are, it's one of the sort of filler tracks on its own. Song was amazing. But you put yeah. it next to Master Puppets and I'm like, well, yeah, this is really great. And sometimes yeah. I bust it out and I'm like, yeah, hybrid children watch the sea. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, you, t you talked about hearing this album when you were in grade mm -hmm. 10 mm -hmm. and like kind of it rocking your world. And then also uh, hearing, listening to Master of Puppets right now mm -hmm. and it having a, a different, mm -hmm. a different meaning as you listen to it now based on some of the things you've gone through in recent sure. years. Sure. So I guess, you know, my next question is, um, as, as you think about how this album has meant different things to you mm. <laughs> in different stages of your life, um, I guess, is there, is there one song that's kind of rose above them all or at a certain period, or is it just kind of the whole thing 
uh, at once. No, no. Or it's like, a- you know, well, in this period of my life, I've really latched onto this, but in this period of life, like, like, is it that or is it just the whole thing? Yeah, so there have been times when it's like the whole thing, you know, and I would say early on it was like the whole thing. Yes, and I love it all. <laughs> I love it all, and I think probably the, you know, Master of Puppets, Sanitarium, and Orion were the three songs that I was like totally like. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I would say that if I were if like if you had if I had to pick one song from this album today that I would like take with me like into the beyond. Yeah. <laughs> it would it would be Welcome Home Sanitarium. Okay. Um I I think that it is unbelievably atmospheric. The mm. structure of the song is really brilliant. It does things with layering in the in the second half after, like after the bridge that go into the solo and take the song out that are just remarkable pieces of, of interact interacting guitar work um, right. that is beautiful and releasing and poignant. So the song opens with this E, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then these harmonics come in. Bum, bum, dun, dun, right? And that opening E, they actually, they didn't want anybody to know. There's a piano under it. Um, <laughs> give a little bit of extra. But it has... So don't tell anyone. <laughs> don't tell me there's a piano. That's, that that is funny. I never would have thought of that. Like, yeah, that's not cool, man. Yeah, that's not I, cool just, and I just metal learned that. Yeah, I just learned <laughs> that. Well, and it was just to add a little bit. Oh here. yeah. So that, but that that opening E, and it's this big, uh, not big. It's this really open sound. And when I hear it, I hear it as a sound reverberating down like a hospital hallway okay it is so atmospheric and like visual for me and the progression in the clean guitar that comes with this um ninth chord with the the g on it and this climbing um riff riff i call it a riff i mean but it's it's slow and it's clean and really beautiful and terribly terribly sad right and it that comes twice in the song with different leads over them and each of the leads are themselves remarkably beautiful pieces of music um i think some of the best melodic solo writing that they do on any of their albums and it's a perfect air and sort of twin to the song Fade to Black, which is on Ride the Lightning, and right. it's the predecessor to One, which is on yeah. oh. Justice for All. Right? So atmospheric. And mm-hmm. and these in each of those songs, Fade to Black is about suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, Welcome Home Sanitarium is about being locked up in a mental institution and being unable to escape and choosing violence is the only way to get out. They have to kill to get out. And so it's one flew over the cuckoo's nest made worse. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the I think for me, 
not that I'm like, um, you know, like, hey, everybody, like, go kill someone. Like, not at all. But the the the, the section after it really accelerates in this. It's this like, it's a pursuit theme almost. And it says, um, fear of living on, natives getting restless now, mutiny in the air, got some death to do. The mirror stares back hard. Kill, it's such a friendly word. It seems the only way for reaching out again. And I think that there, if, if you can, if you're willing to hear this as something other than cartoons, which, I mean, it's metal, so some people go to cartoons, right? Okay, cool. But if you can hear it as the honest expression, I think that that line, that little thing, the mirror stares back hard, that is an incredible line. Because if you think about the times that have been the worst in your life, and you maybe stand in your kit in your bathroom, your hands in the sink, and you look in the mirror and you're like, what is happening to me? Mm-hmm. We can kind of put ourselves in this position. And what happens after this is this incredible set of guitar work that is this huge release. And I just feel it as this huge release. I love playing it. Um, it's one of my favorite sections to play on my guitar um, and it merges this so like this sort of classically informed elaborate playing and then it has this like sped up if, if you slowed it down it would be like there's like swanky blues licks in it it's so <laughs> wild to me and you're like <laughs> you know and like if you just changed the tonality yeah. under it and made it like yeah. Disney guitars you'd be like you know, yeah. but it's yeah. not. It's not. You're like ah, and I just think that that it, that's it's just a really remarkable composition, emotionally rich. It's a journey. Um, it's probably my, you know, these days it's my favorite Metallica song. Awesome. Yeah. Um, the 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 double the double guitar leads. I mean, that doesn't get old for me. Like, <laughs> it's just it's such an amazing sound you know they were doing it in the they were doing it in the 70s you know with with rock mm-hmm. and then they they just take it to another level here mm-hmm. uh with these you use the word virtuoso you know just absolutely mm-hmm. um totally totally uh captivating yeah. really yeah um so that would finish side one that's side one <laughs> yep so we just finished side one turn over your tape now you weren't listening to this when it came out because you said you were already. This is a yeah. little later. Yeah, this would be, and I'm I'm pretty sure it was tenth grade. I mean, I'm like old enough now. I'm like, was it tenth grade? Was it the end of ninth grade? <laughs> you know, it's in there. I think, but I'm pretty sure it was it was the very beginning of tenth grade. Um, yeah, so that would have been 1991, five years okay. after it was released. Okay. So yeah, so when it came out, I guess. It would have been a mixture of people buying it on vinyl and cassette and mm-hmm. yep. CDs starting in 86. I'm not sure. Maybe yeah. not. I think they were out, but maybe not quite. Everybody was had a CD player yet. No, um, they weren't. That wasn't much of a thing. No, not yet. So, yeah. So, so vinyl. 
and cassette. Vinyl and cassette tapes. Yep. Okay. Yep. So we'd turn it over and you'd get disposable heroes. Right. Right. Which is the kind of Second the other mu- longest the mu- song. Yeah, and the the mirror kind of the mirror image of the of the of the uh, of the the artwork. You know, right. was these yeah. disposable heroes heroes with the master puppets. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. It, so it is a like it's always about soldier, soldier boy, made of clay, now an empty shell, twenty one, only son, buddy serves us well, right. And it has this climbing, bread to kill, not to care, do just as we say, finished here. Right, it's like that, yeah. it does that build up. Tension. Right, tension, 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 rising, right. And it, and it's, song's fast. Also, very fast. Very, very, very fast. What, what does your oh. book say the BPM is for that? Uh, so I think this one is in the one. Okay, so this one's 172. <laughs> it's not as fast as uh, Master of Puppets. Which yeah, is but they play it so fast. Like, oh my the God. strumming well, is insane. Well, the thing is they trem- they're they doing these tremolo pigs. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a very militaristic... Yes. Thing. So yes. they're building that in. Okay. So that's more reference, right? The march, the snare. The, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the, that gallop. Right. That's all over the music of Shostakovich, right? And his wartime symphonies, for example, he does it all over the place. But um, so this song was actually James Hetfield was watching like a football practice and wa- and saw these guys just getting absolutely creamed. And the idea for disposable here is these guys who just give up their bodies to play football. And he's like, well, mm. right. Mm. And then it turned into a thing. So this has like a different, yeah. you know, they're like, yeah, it's about war. But it's like, got a, it was inspired by like guys getting decked playing football. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is, which is kind of cool. I think the thing that I enjoy about this song, especially... Now, this has one of the longest solos on the album. Right. And the, and the solo has its own really kind of interesting section-by-section section structure to it that shows Kirk Hammett's compositional prowess in a, right. in a new way that hasn't... The other solos on the album, it's not that they're not really good, it's just that they're not as clearly... To the listener, thought out the way that this one is, where you're like, "Oh, this has a form," and where you can be like, "And here's that section, and here's this, yeah, and this, yeah. and it has this like almost like two like choirs singing back and forth to each other. It has like an antiphonal quality to it, where the melody and the melody and rhythm and even tempo goes from being really fast and very elaborate and running around to to more kind of lilting and um, uh, uh, easy to sing. Hmm. And then it goes back to super speed, right? So I think that's really interesting. If we took this solo out, you'd be like, huh, and like put it on a violin, you'd be like, wow, that's really beautiful. That's really well thought out. And it's in the middle of disposable heroes on Master of Puppets. (laughs) There's yeah. something about this track that makes me think of uh, Dream Theater, almost like a math rocky kind of uh, sound to it. <laughs> I was only into Dream Theater for like five minutes, 
but um, <laughs> but I think it's those sections that you talked about, almost speaking back and forth to each other. The the music's like talking to itself in a way that that I, something about the tempo is doing that. And I, I don't know. It's an interesting uh, break point for the rest of the album too. Yeah, well, I mean, I, and Dream Theater is, you know, all about that. I mean, it's like, yeah. they were like, we're just going to take change. that idea, and that's all we're going to yeah. do, you know, very mathy yeah. and proggy. But on mythical that. dragons. But, but <laughs> <laughs> Go listen to some Dragon Force now. Oh, boy. No, 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 you are, you're not allowed to go listen, listeners. No Dragon Force. They are banished. But um, anyway, no, so this song is, is good. It's a, it's a good song. I think it's a great opener to the second you know the, the the b side it's socially aware it's a theme of war and it's the manipulation of the soldier you know it's and and i dig it you know I, I think it's cool the next song i think is is like really got me as a teenager leper messiah i have a funny story ben might not be surprised by this <laughs> so in uh i came home from california uh, I think I was 16 years old and I like, you know, I had, I was like in a different time zone for sleeping still, you know, so, and I was already a night owl. So instead of staying up until like one, I was up until like four in the morning or whatever, you know, 16, 17 years old. And I turned on the TV and uh, like, I think it was Cornerstone Television, which is this like Christian TV station. And Jerry Falwell was on it. <laughs> Jerry Falwell was having a whole thing about, you know, I don't remember the exact thing, but it had something to do with the environment. And he was like, maybe it was a spotted owl or something. And all I remember is I got out my yellow pad of paper and I wrote Jerry Falwell a letter. <laughs> he was full of it. And I quoted Leper Messiah at length. Right? <laughs> right? That's awesome. Uh, and... And so that that I like that because I hope you know, it's still this, in his files somewhere in the archives. I, you know, probably not. He, was like, <laughs> he didn't even read it. But but I what I think is cool about this, this is another trope in metal: the distrust of religion and the corruption of religion, and specifically in our country, um, in the United States, Christianity, right? And mm-hmm. so this is in the '80s. You know, we had these TV preachers getting busted for all yeah. kinds of shenanigans. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this song is like, it's see those people are bad. And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they are. Yeah. You know, let's write yeah, them a the strongly DMR. worded letter. What a goofy thing. I think that's so funny now. But you know, it's a, it's got, it's a slower song. It's got some of the tritone relationships I talked about for these chromatic descents. And that's like super metal. Like that's all over thrash. You can hear that in like Anvil. You can hear that in like like all kinds of like junk metal. Mm-hmm. This is this song has a bunch of like it's got the most like sort of cliche junk metal stuff <laughs> okay. in it. Um, but the solo in it is very very informed I think I can hear the influence of Joe Satriani okay in this solo there are all these 
um, sort of like sweet picks and arpeggiated figures okay. that on the guitar are fairly elaborate and um, are found in a lot of classical music. And so it, that's in here. And I think that, you know, as a guitar player, I'm like, oh, he's refi- he like this is a really refined thing in a song that has a bunch of junk metal in it. <laughs> <laughs> what what so, are some some junk metal bands that we might be familiar with? Oh, Anvil is okay. one and you can watch the documentary of Anvil which is amazing. It's so good. Um okay. Overkill is another like, yeah. junk metal band. Um god god love them there. They're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really just not, not very good. There's some, uh, I think maybe some uh, German uh, speed metal bands, you know, are are in there. Okay. Go listen to some Sodom if you want. I mean, it's just like, all right, cool. Yeah. It's just just (laughs) fast, loud junk. It's it's the stuff that that Ben would be like. That's that's what I thought it was. Yep. You know, yeah. Um, there's a ton it's of it. proving my point. Yeah, exactly. You know. Well, I mean, we're almost there. There's only two left. Only two left. We may as and well just talk about them all. Let's, it's been, I think, was Joni Mitchell's Blue the last time we cruised through every track? It's been a while. I, I think I, one by one, yeah. And that was I, a three-hour episode, so we're 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 half as good this time. Yeah, we're we're doing we're good pace. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I just have to say, you know, clearly this is like I'm I'm indulging in these moments here, and <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see we'll we'll see if we can get through in the next like fifteen ten minutes or so. So Orion is this is Cliff's song, okay, and. It it is a remarkable composition. So Orion is, you know, the the hunter, Orion yes. is constellation. And so it begins very atmospherically, and then it has this um it, it has this like enjammed E F sharp chord, and they're just right next to each other. So it's like putting this whole step just like and it's just like right there. And so it's tense, but it resolves to G and it's just going, it's like just playing with this little half step figure and then playing with the dominant. That's all that's happening. It's a minor dominant, minor dominant. It's a really simple thing. And then it plays with a very simple Phrygian figure. If people know what that is. So that uses the flat two. Um, and the song just builds piece by piece and it begins introducing layers and the layers elaborate the harmony they elaborate the melody and we get almost like these little alternating theme and variations Hmm. in this song and um, until we get into one of the solos and Kirk Hammond is you know shows off some chops and that first half is still, it's very heavy, simple, simple, but atmospheric. And it's building in, um, I would say, just notiness. And that's, you know, the, the kind of busyness of 
the the lead guitar and that's a lot like a very classical theme and variations you know go listen to the diabelli variations by um beethoven i mean that's a very elaborate set of variations but you know the way that they just build take a theme you're gonna change it change it you're gonna change it and this has some of that the middle of the song is i believe and i think a lot of fans and you know admirers would say it could be the musical the musical masterpiece of metallica really wow yeah so the it's this f sharp natural minor very simple bass line and things get introduced over top of it bit by bit and it has a form that's called a passacaglia and Bach Handel they played passacaglia so they would it's called a ground bass so you get this bass line and it doesn't change Everything over it changes. And they build these layers of the that begin with these beautiful atmospheric multi-guitar bands. Yeah, dual dueling solos kind of in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wow, that's like the bluesiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it ends up going into this, um, so that, that's largely in, what is it? I think it's uh, F sharp. Um, there's this like A major thing, which is the parallel major to F sharp minor. Okay. Happening. Yeah. So you have this cool sort of somber and, you know, ongoing bass and then you get this um where if you took that bass out you'd be like man these are like ringing bells this is the most beautiful like anthemic kind of thing but it's been subdued and then this beautiful solo comes out of it that just climbs and climbs and climbs and it comes down has this whole like just really incredible it's very narrative um there's there's like a a, like a story in there and then it it returns and so it has this great kind of a b a structure that is like a tone poem no lyrics and orion right there it is in the sky you know there's there's the the star Beetlejuice, you know, like it's yep. it's all there, and we're like going through, we're drifting through space. It is a musical journey, and Cliff Burton, it is Cliff Burton's like thing, and so, like when I listen to this, and I think a lot of you know the real fans when we listen to this, this is one of those you turn off the lights and you like sit almost in like metal prayer. <laughs> and listen to it. It's just it's also just really beautiful. And it has moments of being delicate and it doesn't do the brutality 
that the other songs yeah. do. And so if you think about the architecture of the album, this atmospheric opening that goes into, you know, the just raw power of battery, master of puppets, right? You're getting this onslaught. And then you get this instrumental with this huge, oh, in the middle of it. And then it has an outro. And then what happens? Damage Incorporated. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. You get this, you know, you have this like weird atmosphere. <laughs> and then it just comes in and, and, and you get the hell beat out of you again. And you're like, <laughs> you know, and, you know, um, uh, you know, the 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 lyrics are ve- are, are very much the twin of battery, yeah. uh, dealing out the agony right. within, yeah. uh, charging on and no one's gonna give in, bleeding on your knees conformity, but dying on your feet for honesty, you know. And you're like, oh, so that's like another this like, I am an individual and I will break you, but I'm part <laughs> of a damage incorporated, you know. So here I come slamming through, don't f with razor back. Stepping, hell, stepping out, you'll feel all hell on your back. So it's like, once again, we are the mob, right? And so the pillars of the album, that's what they, that's what they are. They're like, they are, we are violence. Hmm. Um, and in the middle, this, like, I think this really incredible uh, journey. And uh, I think it, I like, how exciting to end an album the, almost the way that you began yeah. the album. And so that is a real awareness of sort of the superstructure of an album. They're thinking wow. about form, not just within song, but across songs and on the sides of the album. You know, that's something that we associate with like Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That no one's like, Metallica does it. No, Metallica did it. You know, these mm-hmm. guys in their 2020s who live in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Did they get away from that? I'm I'm just not very familiar with their their career trajectory. Are they as uh, experimental or out of the stereotype as they move from this place? Yeah. So the next album, you know, does um, has a similar sort of super architecture, you know, atmospheric opening on black end that goes into this you know super fast really like whoa title track is track two and justice for all so that's the same kind of thing yeah then a slower trudging song it's not the thing that should not be it's um eye of the beholder and then you get the like ballad in one turn the album over then you have like more of the kind of like filler metal you have a uh, the the second to last track is another um, instrumental called "To Live Is to Die." It has a little poem in, in the middle that was written by Cliff Burton, um, oh. and then a super blistering final track, "Dyer's Eve." So it, it has a similar architecture. By the time you get to the Black Album, they have moved away from this sort of like convention that they made for themselves, except for except for the atmospheric opening, Inner Sandman, yeah, and then. Track four is the Unforgiven. That's the ballad. Okay. Right. So they they keep that, and after that they sort of do whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Oh. Yeah. What a journey. <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah. 
I I don't really know what to say right now. <laughs> well, you better hurry up because we got to summarize our thoughts here in a, oh my in gosh. a, a, co a um, cohesive way. <laughs> uh, you're talking about so many different um, uh, technical musical things. Um, things uh, that we've seen in, you know, you mentioned many classical artists and art and blues artists and other things. What percentage of all that do you feel? Now, this is mostly speculation, but not entirely. What percentage of it is is by design by the guys versus mm. just mm. we're going to do this thing that's cool and. Well, you didn't know that that's a, you know, something that Wagner did, uh, right. but it is yeah. because that's yeah. just you've you've absorbed that as part of you know your your music. My How training. much of it is intentional? And I'm not I'm not trying to say that to say oh well only eighty percent these guys. No, I'm not. I'm just curious as to. Um, how much did they know uh, at the time that this is really quite quite genius? I guess is kind of what I'm getting. Yeah. At. So so part of what is great about this is that a bunch of this is just intuitive and learned. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're like, well, that just sounds great. So I'm just going to keep doing that. And then I'm going to change that. So that it does this other thing, you know, and then I'm going to turn it upside down and, you know, well, what would happen if I, you know, slowed it down and like you did this and I did that. Right. Like there's a lot of that sort of thing. And I, so I don't want to be like, well, you know, actually Cliff Burton was, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he right. could write in, you know, you know, fourth species counterpoint, right. you know, right. and like, he, no, that garbage. Absolutely not. But he was studied. Right. He was yeah. studied. He had a great mm -hmm. ear. I mean, these guys are geniuses. Yes. They, he, and so they hear things intuitively yes. that other people and are able to just be like, oh yeah. And then I'm going to play it. Um, yeah that other people would have to study a lot in order right. to be able to do it. Gotcha. And so yeah, I think that a lot of it is, it, it's learned, mm -hmm. and they're making choices, and you can listen to like demo stuff, of them changing riffs, mm -hmm. you know? So they're like, mm, we're gonna get rid of that and put this in here, and you know? So uh, studied, partly, intuitive huge intuition but it's it's from it's from playing eddie van right. halen right eddie van halen would like do like he plays bach right but yeah. he's not yeah. like you know he's not like i'm gonna go practice the you know the bass lines from the cantata no so that right. like that's not happening he's just like that sounds great you know and yeah. like yeah. Yeah, how to right. do it. I, I guess yeah. that's kind of yeah kind of what i was getting at i just I've just kind of blown away, not only listening to it, but hearing some of the background from you and breaking down the songs. Like just, it's, it's more of a masterpiece than I, than I thought. Right. It's really, really, really quite incredible and overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't mind moving to, you know, how it's aged. I know Peter, you put in a lot of kind of, um, you know, concluding thoughts. You have a lot there. I, w I would think that you've touched on some of that already. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that in, in terms of the aging and where I can hear some of the influence. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that, that, that's one of the things about 
this album is like if you if you were to do a poll right of of folks who are big in metal you say you know just tell me what the 10 greatest albums are and you know not to i don't want to assume what i know about you know the guys in mastodon or gojira or revocation or whatever but the, a bunch of them are going to say they're going to put master of puppets in there they'll be there and i can hear this album in metal that has been written in the last few years. I mean, yeah. Oh, interesting. Hmm. And, and kind of the way that you can hear black Sabbath in tons of metal. And that's not really true for a lot of bands. I mean, the, the absolutely indelible mark of this album is stamped on, on a lot and in a lot of different ways. And I mean, that's how, that's, that's how, you know, an album's influence. Right. Yeah. And and that's why I'm really glad that you're here because that's something that it's a question that I often ask Mm -hmm. when we get to this part of an episode. And a lot of times I'm going, Oh man, I'm not, I'm not qualified to, (laughs) Because yeah, I'm, not as fam- on. <laughs> I'm not as familiar with the music that followed this, like, because yeah. I'm like, okay, this is on this list because it's great. And a lot of that has to do with its influence and its legacy. And mm-hmm. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with, with, with that in a lot of albums and certainly this. So I'm really happy to hear you say that, that, mm-hmm. yeah, you can, you being well-versed in this whole genre mm-hmm. Up to up to this day, can go. Oh yeah, I hear this all over the place, which is like mm-hmm. just another reason why it's so important to be represented here mm-hmm. as as impactful. Um, and and it's also inimitable music. It, like it's one of those things where you're like, oh, I can hear it, but no one no one can do it like that. Right? You know? Yeah. You're like, yeah. we are not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um you, you hear the you hear the uh kind of the blueprint of it, the mm-hmm. the, the structure of it, but not mm-hmm. not totally duplicated. Um mm-hmm. and, and it's another thing where it's a genre like you you won't necessarily hear a thrash metal song, you know, as you're walking through Walmart or you know, in the elevator. But you will hear music on the top 40 from time that that has elements like you know even if you think about like you know third wave 90s punk rock and think about the drumming think Mm -hmm. about how that comes from this Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of that um the different distortion that's used in all sorts of rock music Mm -hmm. that comes from this so you'll hear elements of this all over the spectrum of rock music which is so cool you know the you you won't hear licks like this in a lot of radio songs uh <laughs> but you'll hear it on the albums that some of those bands do right mm-hmm. so i mean that's that's kind of an interesting thing about this album and this genre is mm-hmm. is not the same as you know a fleetwood mac rumors uh whatever and i'm not i'm not comparing them in terms of better or worse just in terms of how they're played yeah totally yeah. um it's really, really cool to hear, mm-hmm. to hear that because again, this, this music 
is not for everybody. <laughs> it's no. not everybody's cup of tea. And there's parts of it, like uh, one of my favorite bands um, is Rush. And I, I will tell people, everybody I meet, how great they are. And so many people over the years said, I can't stand it. I can't get into this. I can't get into that. Um, and you go, but how, wh- why not? There's so many good things because it's so challenging. A lot of the music, it challenges the listener. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just four up, four up and down and really nice polished timings and, you know, just straight up melodies. It's so challenging mm-hmm. to the listener. Mm-hmm. I felt the same way listening to this. Mm-hmm. So challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everybody wants that when they sit down and turn on their stereo. They want to right. yeah. just relax or just not listen to anything else. And that's okay. I'm not criticizing that. No. That's fine. There are times when I turn on an album and I wanna I wanna be challenged. I wanna dig into it. I wanna rip it apart. I wanna mm-hmm. you know, push remind or scroll back another twenty seconds. Go, Wait, what happened there? What was that? What's the timing there? What was that chord? Um and I'm nowhere near the the level of, of musical understanding that you have, Peter, but I know enough to know Oh, that's different. What was that? Oh, I'm interested right. in that. So that right. that's something that for me, um, always is always relevant when it's musically challenging. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean different. I just don't just mean experimental. I mean like there is meat there, there is depth yeah. there, yeah. there is structure there, and we've talked about that a lot tonight. So, um, yeah, that's my take on it. I think that part of what's amazing about you know the the world that we live in and the ingenuity of human beings with amplified instruments you know is that we have created so many ways to experience the the world in doing that and like and some of those are you know they're not challenging i mean Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen is like, that is real, that's candy, right? You know what? That's a great song. Awesome that's song. Song is <laughs> amazing, song. right? Give me some ABBA, you know? Like, yep. let me yep. just like feel good and be happy. And then, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to put on Cleveland Giants of Ice by, by revocation and I'm going to be like, you know, like, that, <laughs> I want that. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I want like a little bit of something that's like kind of, mm, in a different way so i'm gonna put on some sound garden you know yep. and i'm gonna have like what meter is this in you know like spoon man or something like that and you're <laughs> like yeah you know and then chris cornell the greatest voice in rock and roll of oh all time gosh. right like at the range of like forty-eight thousand octaves you know just peeling <laughs> the paint off the wall and then like like swooning you and you're like you know so i just think like the the range of musical experience for me I want to be able to go from Metallica and this album. And then, yeah, like sometimes I want some candy. Yeah. And that's like, and, you know, cool. Music's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can be endlessly curious about it for yeah. all kinds of reasons. And that's what Amen. is so cool yeah. about your podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what a glowing endorsement. And I like what you talked, I don't know if we were on the air or not, talking about, um, you know, Alanis Morissette and, and how, uh, I, I'm so glad that I and Ben, I think you feel I've moved away from this 
you know, we do this in our youth. Like I only listen to this kind of music. It's the best kind, you know, all the other music is crap, you know, and I'm so glad that I've, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I'm so glad I've moved away from that. You know, as when we were younger, we had this weird idea in our head. I don't even know where, I still don't know where it came from that, well, I can't like Alanis because that's chick music, you know, like, um, and both of us kind of shaking our heads, thinking about it, going, why? Why did yeah, we do that? Yeah. This music's yeah. awesome. These songs are great. What a powerful artist. What an amazing album. Mm-hmm. Uh, such uh, passion, anger, love, everything. Um, yet we just had this knee-jerk reaction that was somehow implanted into us to, we're not supposed to like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that I've matured maybe even just a little bit. Uh, to, to be, I don't want to give myself too much credit to to do that, Peter. To to appreciate mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I need all those different things. I need I need to be challenged. There's times I need to. Yeah, call me maybe. I mean, come on, man. What a great tune. Um, and and I there was a time in my life where I would have definitely looked down on stuff like that. That mm-hmm. oh, it's so simple. It's so you know sugar coated. There's no substance to it. Blah blah blah. You know, and I I don't do that anymore because there's no joy in that. And uh, and and I want to be able to sit down with someone and listen to that and enjoy it, or sit down with someone and listen to, hey, check out this great country song that just you know these lyrics really tug at my heartstrings. Absolutely, let's listen to it together. Tell me why you like it. You know? uh, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you want some Stankonia by Outcast. Oh. Sometimes <laughs> you want like. Uh, Fear of a Black Planet by uh, by Public Enemy, you know, and yeah. and yeah. and then you you know like I'm just thinking about other like other albums that I think are in the it's not Fear of a Black Planet is in the top 100. What is uh, it? It's did not, um, takes a nation of millions takes still. a nation of millions, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. And yeah. I think I think if I'll add one more layer, it's that um, the people pleaser in me hears you guys saying that and thinks, well, then I gotta like it all. But I th- that's not what you're saying. <laughs> no. Um, no, there's. There's also a component here where we can say, this is what I enjoy at yeah. this time or in this moment. And if I don't like this other thing, that's fine too. Um, yeah. yeah, we don't we don't all have to say this is all great <laughs> all <No>. the time. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah. this is like heresy. I don't really like Jimi Hendrix. I don't. Like, I, just can't, I just can't get into it you know and yeah. like amazing yeah. amazing stuff mm-hmm. i just like can't i was never able to get into Jimi hendrix you yeah. know why like, can i have a hard time with bob dylan and I, that's sacrilege for a lot of people to to hear that so my, yeah. my dad my dad is screaming at you from the grave <laughs> yeah. his ashes which are wherever they are yep. yeah. yeah and yeah. and to be able to sit down with that person uh with that music that i can't stand and sit down with them and say hey i really like this and say yeah tell me what you like about it i mean you you just what you said about Jimi hendrix we had a guy on uh, glenn guyton talking about uh prince's purple rain and at one point i said you know i respect all this and i just can't get into it and and i thought he was gonna <laughs> get up and walk out you know like he was just, what are you talking about and like that's um you know that's the fun of it that's the fun yeah. of it to be able to and to be able to share that i mean isn't i don't want to get political but isn't that what we're supposed to do with each other is to be able to have differences but still care for each other <laughs> yeah well like, it would be no fun if we were all the same but we're different so that causes conflict mm-hmm. but how can, can yeah. we just sit down and say you like this and i like that but we can still sit down and 
share, you know, a coffee or something. And the, and the PMRC is going to come for you. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. This episode is long enough, but uh, I think I, speaking of them, I think I heard that they put a uh, kind of joke um, sticker on the shrink wrap that was like a, a parental advisory sticker, but it said, if you're concerned, listen to this song because it doesn't have all of these words and then listed all the swear words <laughs> on the sticker. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Great, guys, uh, great help move. me out. P- PMRC, help me out, guys. Is that oh, an American sorry, thing that I don't know? Parents Musical Resource Center. Yeah, it was this whole like censorship <laughs> thing in the 80s. Oh, about they were oh, the responsible oh. for getting the, the parental advisory. Parental advisory. Oh, okay. 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 In the okay. yeah. At least in the United States. Yeah. Okay. It was r- ridiculous. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's still there. <laughs> yeah. It is. It um, is. Oftentimes we ask this this question of, of huge fan. We have someone on uh, talk about an album. They're like, this is my favorite album. And we say, what do you think about this ranking? It's 97th. And the person says, I'm just so thrilled that it's here. This is awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of time that's the response we get, but Peter, you know, without maybe being super, super familiar with mm-hmm. the list. I mean, this is the 97th mm-hmm. album, greatest album of all time. As you mentioned, it's the first, metal true metal album that appears on the list so it's the Mm -hmm. only one that cracks the top hundred Mm -hmm. so what's your thoughts on on it being here on it being 97 anything well when i saw that it used to be like was it 160 something i was right i I mean i kind of wanted to throw stuff (laughs) Um, (laughs) this is bitter (laughs) yeah i was i just thought that's ridiculous you know 97 i that's fine yeah you know i i think i think you could you know like, like there are arguments that one could craft in a very lawyerly lawyerly fashion to say <laughs> well it could go up but you know these parameters are ultimately like pretty subjective and that's yes. right you know does it belong in the top 100 absolutely yeah does it belong in the top 50 no um you know in terms of like influence in all pop music albums of all time could I imagine it earning a spot at 75th? You might be able to get it as high as like 85. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, it, yeah. and where I think as someone who is pretty literate in, in you know, all of these things, you know, would think, oh, okay. Um, sure. There's some stuff that is in the top, you know, 85 or so where I'm like, what, what, but I'm not, <laughs> we don't have to go there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, yep. I, I agree with that. I, I'm, I mean, we talk about commercial success, you know, it was over 8 million. I mean, that's a lot higher than many of the albums. I know it's not just about that, but many albums we've talked about, which mm-hmm. are higher on the list did not have that commercial success. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as much as we said, you know, you won't hear thrash metal in Walmart. Um, the number of bands and successful bands, that have come since this is staggering. You know, it's not a small sub genre, you know, by any means it's, it's an established genre with a lot of music, very loyal fans, huge concerts, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, you know, it's, it's had a huge impact. I think, you know, you could make a really good argument to put it a lot closer to 50, I think Hmm. um, compared to, and as we see this list changing, 
you know, a huge change from the 2012 list to the 2020 list in diversity, you know, a lot more um, uh, people, you know, visible minority, a lot more women um, represented on this list, which is, which is much more appropriate. Um, you know, it, <laughs> even when they did it in 2012, it really hadn't changed much from the 2003 list. Right. Um, right. They just sprinkled in some of their best of the, the 2000s albums into there. So it's a huge, huge change. Um, and I think it's appropriate that it's higher, you know, jumped about 70 spots. Um, I think that's good. I, I would say higher. I would say higher. I'd say, you know, closer. Yeah. Closer to that 75 mark, I think makes sense, especially considering this is the only metal album in the top 100, you know, and I'm not saying there should be a, a whole handful of them, but I mean, this is the one, right? <laughs> this is, or mm-hmm. at least if you're going to do one, this is the, one of the three that you're going to do. So what do you mm-hmm. think, Ben? Um, you're going to go the yeah, other direction I, on us. I think this is another one that, that makes me <clears throat> ask the question again about what genres uh, are allowed to be on this list. Like, hmm. you know, yeah. We, yeah. it, it's still pretty narrow in terms of what gets a pass and maybe mm-hmm. it's just sort of what what Ro- Rolling Stones willing to cover, but there's we haven't had a single classical album on this list uh, in the top 100. There's all kinds of other genres that are just totally overlooked. We no, get, no country, you know, one one metal album, no country. Uh, yeah, we get some like country ish, country adjacent things, but but no country. So I find myself thinking like maybe pick a lane, Rolling Stone. Like either say we're going for kind of pop and rock. And that's what this is great uh, about, or or we're really going to be more expansive and and maybe take a bit more seriously albums like this that are the greatest metal album of all time, um, in the words of many people, not just Peter. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, I guess I feel that tension of like, what do we do with these? Uh, and, and I think I felt the same thing with. Um, some of the jazz albums that have been on here, the jazz is ranked a lot higher than, than this one was, but they still feel like they're kind of floating in this space that, you know, they don't really fit with all the stuff around them. And, uh, um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I have, this is making me think there's a problem with the list more than the ranking is too high or too low. And, yeah. uh, and maybe, maybe that's fine. Um, I'm glad it's here. I'm glad I got to listen to it. I am, loving this conversation but it's not one that i'll probably return to uh and so it you know that's fine uh i'm trying to, i'm trying to own that and not feel bad that i've broken peter's no, heart no I, I'm, I'm fine i know who i am yeah um, yeah exactly i want to spend more um, yeah. time with it um i i'd like to there's a i listened to it a few times but there's a lot that for for me personally, I feel like I need to give more time to mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's certain songs we talked about songs with multiple movements and multiple parts that I really want to yep. come back to and kind of just absorb them more and, and dissect them a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I it's again, it's not it's not my favorite genre. Like it's not something that I listen to a lot. But maybe some of that is just I'm not exposed to it much. So um, right. yeah, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to to give it some more time um, to. Mm-hmm to listen to it more cool hey uh before we go too much further did you ask him his favorite songs for our playlist i didn't 
I did is, is he? Do you have the capacity to pick two from this, Peter, or is it uh, like choosing your favorite children? Yeah, that that is kind of hard. So if I'm gonna <laughs> right now today, if I'm gonna pick two songs from this album, yep. Let's I'm go gonna, back through them track by track. And... No, no. <laughs> wow, this is this is like really hard. Um, <laughs> I think that's I, why I didn't want to ask. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick battery and sanitarium. Okay, okay. perfect. Yep, yep. They're enshrined eternally on our Sound Logic favorites playlist. So uh, we mentioned. Um, that this was on the list previously. Uh, we'd like to talk about if, there, if there's any other albums on the list. So Master of Puppets was 167. Now it's 97, so it went up about 70 spots. One more. There's only one more of their albums on the list. That's mm-hmm. uh, the self-titled, mm-hmm. uh, quote, Black Album, mm-hmm. um, is 235. Mm-hmm. It's moved up about 20 spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. No other other albums on the list so we'll get to talk about it one more time talk about the band um yeah i'm with you peter i I think that you know they've had such a an extensive career that i could think one or two more albums you could probably you know you said injustice for all i think for sure even you know even even you probably won't like this, but for commercial success, I mean, Load was a huge Load. album, huge. Like, like the singles, like that's what that's what I remember. That was some of, uh, well, Enter Sandman I heard, but then when I started getting into music on my own and was watching a lot of music television, um, you know, the stuff from Load was like, I was listening mm-hmm. to that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so. I, and I, I mean, I think that I, the Black Album, it, the Black Album gets a lot of grief from a lot of people you don't have what you don't have corn right really without sad but true you just don't there's like and once again there's the just power of this band just practically creating a whole subgenre with like a song yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah well this has been an absolute blast and a pleasure. And I've, I've learned like so much tonight. So I want to take another opportunity, Peter, thank you so much for joining us Thanks and, for and sharing me. your, your knowledge, your passion, uh, your experiences. Uh, it's, it's been a real treat. Thank you well, so much. I appreciate it. And I hope that, um, people, they may need to break this, this one apart, take some time <laughs> with it because there's a lot of geekery you know that's that's about music but you know thank i just thank you guys so much it was really a pleasure i've been enjoying working my way through the through the podcast (laughs) i think i'm gonna go listen to the one about uh purple rain that sounds like uh, i can i can get into a fight with that guy that sounds (laughs) (laughs) no that that was another good one but um, yeah yeah well that that wraps up another one uh ben you want to tell us what we have coming up next week 
Yeah, I don't know. This block of 10 albums has just felt like a, a real genre pivot uh, from week to week, and it's happening again. <laughs> um, speaking of just a little bit country adjacent, we've got yeah. uh, something that falls into that category at number 98, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road by Lucinda Williams. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll look forward to shifting uh, tempo and time and, uh, yeah, something a little bit more laid back in um, Listen to Williams. Um, one more time, Peter. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Um, Let's go for a bike ride. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's do uh, it. For those of you listening, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you uh, take care of yourselves and those around you. We hope mm-hmm. you continue to be well. And of course, we hope you'll join us again right here next time on the Sound Logic Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.